in the time taken since the recording of this episode late on Monday, May 21st, it has tragically since come to our attention that Nicky Lauda has passed away at the age of 70. Now, obviously, we recorded the show before this tragic news broke. Um, so just bear that in mind when listening. Obviously, we'll fully address this on next week's show. But in the meantime, a true salute to one of, without question, the bravest and one of the greatest Formula 1 drivers and drivers in motorsport in general that we've ever seen. Of course, on behalf of me and everyone at Motorsport 101, our thoughts, prayers and condolences of all of Nikki's loved ones. Enjoy the show. Gentlemen, I'm actually losing track of this. What is this now? Episode 192? Or was it 193? I want to say it's 193. It is 193. <laughs> it is 193 of Motorsport 101. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I'm your friendly neighbourhood, Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, welcome back to what was a, uh, shall we say, tense weekend of motorsport in action here um here at m101 hq which is basically just our discord server with it with an audience section in the back it was a fun time for all involved and by fun i mean we wanted to basically just crap ourselves at every opportunity (laughs) (laughs) we have a loaded booth of four this time round. this time round again hello sailor mr ryan king i'm so glad that i survived sunday it was Ooh, I'm glad that no one had to talk me out of a motorhome. More on that later. <laughs> Definitely more on that later. Representing Tennessee himself, Mr. Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Back from vacation. I've missed yes, you all the last. Back. I've missed you all the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, thank you very much uh, to my partner Vincent for being so awesome to hang out with the last week. Um, but I'm glad to be back here. Uh, did I miss anything uh, important <laughs> in the last weekend? No, no. Honestly, I've, like, like, I, there's barely anything to talk about. I don't know how you could possibly get this misconstrued. Um, <laughs> nothing happened at all over the last fortnight, honestly. Um, which is totally why we didn't invite Chris Tahade on the show. Hello again, Chris. Greetings from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Media Center. I'm currently on the fourth floor right now, uh, looking at the start finish line about a few, couple hundred yards uh, over there to my right. And I tell you what, it's a great, uh, 
Look, seeing all the pit crews here, just a couple that we didn't get in the show, but it's a, it was a great weekend. Good to have you, man. And uh, yes, we actually have a, a we actually have a footprint of M101 in the Indianapolis Media Center. I have made it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes, I. This is my finest hour. <laughs> Just you say, guys are got, American. You're... We got we got Chris at Indy. Pretty soon, King's gonna be the official media credentialed reporter for the Sale GP. <laughs> oh yeah, Sale GP, Sale GP. King's like the, King. King's gonna be like the only person in the media center, which will basically be one table by the side of the track. <laughs> track water. It's Sale GP. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, sure. that, that's what we call an even keel response. <laughs> oh, yeah. Basically, TLDR. There's now a split in yacht racing because uh, Oracle Team USA and Team New Zealand uh, got mad at each other. Yeah. Yeah. As as as, as uh, Steve puts in our Discord chat, get all your nautical references in now, folks. Basically. <laughs> Which, you know, sounds about right. In the meantime, places you can find us real quick as we get the general housekeeping out of the way. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, like again, like by the time this goes up, there will be a brand new video up. I'm going to be talking about Zandvoort. Yay. Now that's official. So that'll be up by the time this episode goes out. Check it out already. Um, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 but if you like to follow our personal handles you can at Harrison 101 HD at RJ O'Connell at Ryan Eric King that's with two K's and Chris is available at C the hard A C D E H A R D E um, we're, all these details can be on our website um, motorsport101.com if you haven't checked the blog section out lately I put up a a pretty long form piece by my standards anyway just talking about the nature of well a bit about me a bit about uh, m101 and the nature of uh mental health awareness week which it was just this past week in the uk and uh to i don't want to say celebrate that but uh i'm not sure that's the right word but in light of that i wanted to write a bit of a personal piece about the nature of it all and how being a, as I, as I self-quote myself, a mediocre YouTuber had an effect on me all these times. And how, basically, M101 got started off with me having a breakdown. No, seriously. It actually did happen. It's well worth the read if you haven't seen it already. But um, I want to say thanks to everyone that's read and sent well wishes and, um, you know, kind thoughts regarding that. It's very, very kind of you. Um, I'm not worthy of such praise on occasion um, for basically pouring my soul into a two and a half thousand word long form piece. But here we are. Um, thanks to everyone for that. And if you really, really like our shit, you can back us financially on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash. Uh, M101, actually Motorsport 101 I should say, technically speaking, it's not quite M101 I wish, I wish we had a shorter URL, but here we are um, Again, um, $5 gets you early access to all of our our, our shows before they go out um, $10 gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded and I think this might be the most we have ever had <laughs> in a room listening to this show as we speak, so uh Shout out here to uh, you know Black and Mild. We've got in here. We've got Jason in here. Uh, praise Shuckle, arise Shuckle, praise be. Uh, James Calantis, good to see you, sir. Steve's in here. Henry's in here. Hi Brian as well. Cam is in here. 
and Vic is in as well. Thanks to everyone that's listening in. Much, much appreciated. Um, as always. Again, I think I think that's a record. That's uh, that's that's crazy. Thanks everybody. Um, it's uh, it's you're very much appreciated. And if you're back, it's even at the fifteen dollar level, which I still think you're crazy for doing. So I'll send you a T-shirt. Everywhere in the world, James, stand by. I have sent your shirt out, sir. Um, it, then again, you are in Australia. It might take about three months to get there. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't blame them for that one. It is in the middle of nowhere. But <laughs> hope you guys enjoy the show. And uh, well, we will go straight at it from the top after this musical break because after we'll be talking the Indianapolis 500s qualifying week, a week of practice, um, some scary press, some serious, some ugh, some scary crashes, some hijinks, and some Spanish guy getting bumped. And no, it wasn't Oriol Servia. God damn. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and apparently just how crazy this was um, I know there is a Jenna Fryer article that is doing the rounds at the time of recording May 20th we're recording this on the Monday apparently it's ridiculous I have not read this piece there will be a live reaction to this piece as the show goes on if you've already read it I, I, apparently it's uh, pretty spicy so that should be a uh, Interesting, to say the least. We'll also be talking about MotoGP's French Grand Prix as Marc Marquez took back-to-back victories um, in, in Le Mans and in sport in general, actually. It's his second straight victory ahead of a fleet of Ducatis, i.e. Dovi, Petrux, and Series 4 of Jackass. <laughs> Fun times for all involved there. We'll be talking a little bit about the W Series, um, their second round at Zolder. Um, a whole heap of news from all across the motorsport landscape and previewing something called Day of Classics 4. Yeah, it's Day of Classics season. Everybody booking their tickets, pointing at signs. Indeed. Day of Classics 4, for fourth's sake. More on that at the end of the show. But after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to talk about the Indianapolis 500 and quarterfying week. Gentlemen, where do we even begin on this one? Because uh, the tea is piping. We are we are sitting here, humble gentlemen here, after a chaotic week of Indy 500 qualifying. And <laughs> where do we even start on this one? Because we've, we, we have so much to potentially discuss. Um, we can cover practice pretty quickly. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that the very first incident was kind of the tone for qualifying. Fernando Alonso losing control of his car. Yeah, we had we had quite we had quite a large range of practice crashes. We we, we saw Fernando put it in the wall. We saw uh, Pato Award had a big one um, and had to get another car converted over. I know that was a bit of a pain. Um, Felix Rosenquist, our, our own driver for hire, um, had a big one where he bounced off one wall and into the other inside wall that turned two. Um, that was a scary one. Um, the, I think one, one of the most, um, shall we say, startling ones was a team that was already struggling when Carl Kaiser for Junkos Racing, a, as you can probably have seen from the pictures by now, a, a team that had a, already a sponsorless car due to their struggles 
And next thing you know, Kaiser's put it in the wall, and uh, car takes flight a little bit, and they uh, had to uh, scramble around for the best part of 24 hours to rebuild uh, another tub, basically, and get it ready for the two-day qualifying extravaganza that we had at the end, um, to say the least. So, uh, gosh, where... where <laughs> That was a lot to get through here, okay? Yeah, let's just get, let's just do this in uh, reverse grid order. Let's just get to what, uh, put our jaws on the floor. The last row shootout on Sunday afternoon delayed for several hours by rain because, uh, because it decided to rain on Sunday afternoon. So it was pushed back Mm to 4.30 Eastern time, 3.30 Central time. Indeed. And, uh, we had... Well, we had 36 total entries. Uh, the rules were that the top 30 on Saturday were guaranteed to make the show, uh, which means you would have six people left for the final last row shootout. You know, as, as we all know, it's a, 30, it's a 33 entry field. There's 36 entrants. Six into three doesn't go. Well, technically it does, mathematically speaking, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're building up. We're, we're building up drama here. But uh, yeah, we had six. We had six guys take to the track for the last row shootout. Max Chilton, Pato Award, some guy called Fernando Alonso, um, some other guy called James Hinchcliffe, uh, <laughs> Kyle Kaiser, and and the homeboy himself, Sage Karam all taking part for three spots in the 500. So, um, if I may, Dre, I want to make sure that mm. we have a proper uh, explanation of everybody here. We're talking about the two, in order of the time that they went out, the 2016 Indianapolis 500 pole sitter in a backup car mm-hmm. that was assembled in two yep. and a half hours. The 2017 yep. top lap leader of the Indianapolis 500 a two-time Formula mm-hmm. One World Drivers Champion, the 2013 yep. Indy Lights Champion, the 2018 mm-hmm. Indy Lights Champion, and the 2017 Indy Lights Champion. Not exactly a bunch of scrubs here. No. And it, no. it felt like the moment that the number five went out in track on Saturday, we knew the last row shootout was going to be something wild because... The second turn of James Hinchcliffe's qualifying run went very awry, very quickly. Indeed. Um, his first lap on his Saturday afternoon run, Hinch completely loses the front going into turn two, spins spins anti-clockwise, and next thing you know, Hinch is in the wall. And I, 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 I kind of hate a second lap, I should say. Yeah, second lap, correction. Um, yeah, Mike, thanks for that. Um, like... I, it was pretty startling when the uh, consensus was that somebody was going to bin it, given the track conditions were far from ideal. It was extremely hot, so the tyres were getting more scrubbed than usual. The, like Turn 2 was a, a general problem area for everybody this weekend. Um, the, the general thought was someone was going to bin it, and of course it was James. Have you all forgotten about last year here, Hinchcliffe? <laughs> yeah. Of course, for those of you who missed it, James Hinchcliffe, through so many strange circumstances, missed the field. He is only four months removed from a life-threatening crash, suffered on the other end of the track. Mm-hmm. Just after qualifying. And when that car crashed, several of our supporters were watching this. Friend of the show, Josette Cor- Storis, literally started to cry after Hinchcliffe crashed. 
because we're thinking, no way this can happen again. No way. Yeah, that 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 was pretty much me. Everyone knows I'm a massive Hinchcliffe fan, and I was just sitting there going, "Oh no, not again, not again." Last year was rough enough. We can't be thinking about doing this again here. The, <laughs> the scariest thing was that I had the uh, live feed from the track up there, so I was about ten or fifteen seconds ahead of everybody watching. So I was watching his hands go on the uh, turn two there and said, oh, he's crashed, he's crashed. And everybody else was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, just waiting for it to happen. It was. Oh, God. And then I was able to say, you know, oh, he's fine. He's, oh, he's out of the car. He's out of the car. And everybody just had a big sigh of relief. So it was good to see that he was able to get out of that thing uh, all in one piece. Yeah, I, I want to give a quick shout-out once again to the whole Matro safety team. They were there 10 seconds after Hinch's car stopped moving. They are absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's, like, it's, the, it's the AMR safety team. AMR paying the bills yeah. now. <laughs> Sorry about that. My bad. But, uh, yeah, they are tremendous. Like I said, they were there within 10 seconds of Hinch's car no longer moving. That is how good they are. And uh, luckily, Hinch was okay. And they, were, they were straight over to the car. Hinch immediately gave the thumbs up. Um, he was, p- thankfully, perfectly fine. Um <laughs> How I don't quite know, but uh, but uh, he was perfectly okay. Um, again, pride more damage more than anything else. And they again, they as, as it's been alluded to in the chat, they had to rebuild a, a spare car in two and a half hours to even give him a chance of trying to make that magical top thirty spot on the Saturday evening. Um, but they couldn't get in, so yeah, Hinch was forced to go into the Sunday shootout for the last row. And as Chris mentioned, not a ton of scrubs out there, and due to practice times, of course. James had to go first. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, God, Hinch is going to be the guinea pig out here which, after basically hours of track drying. My little bone to pick, I understand it gives the slower guys more of a chance of making the field, but it seems a bit unfair that because you were the fastest not to qualify, you're first out in the shootout. Yeah, don't worry, Hinch. You, were all, you very nearly almost made it. You'll be fine. He <laughs> was totally fine. Thank God, <laughs> basically. But yeah, Hinch was the guinea pig out there. Thankfully, no further crashes or disasters on, on, on uh, last lap day, thankfully. But uh, Hinch went first, put down a decent marker. I, I think it was 227.2. It would have been enough to get him through outright yesterday. So they, they clearly found a bit of something in the number five car overnight. Yeah, Hinch's uh, lap average of 227.543 miles an hour mm. would have, if he had set that time on the first day of qualifying, put him on the middle of row nine ahead of Jordan King. Hey, Jordan King. Lovely. Um, so Hinchcliffe goes out first, sets a, like everybody generally thought, yeah, that'll do. That will probably get him in. It did get him in. In the end, they'll be starting P31. More on that later. Um, but uh, whew. next up, I want to say I want to say it was, it was Chilton second. Yep, Chilton came out second. And when his first lap uh, was nearly a mile an hour slower, um, we knew this was going to be trouble for the man who led the most laps in 2017 with Ganassi. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, he was the first man bumped from the field just two cars Indeed. later. 
226.192. It was generally the, the impression that you were going to need 227 to get in here. Chilton just did not have the legs in that car. And as you said, Chilton knows his way around this racetrack. He's been excellent in here in the past. Had 50 laps in 2017 more than anybody else. Finished fourth overall that day. So the man is not some novice or some scrub. He's generally been very good around here in the past. Just uh, it's, it's kind of a, a story of Carlin over the course of the weekend. More on that later. So yes, as, as aforementioned, Chilton, the first of three guys to get bumped. Sage Karam, I believe, was next. No, no. And After, oh, no, I'm there sorry. was one more driver that came before him, Fernando Alonso. Yes. And we'll get into right. him. He he did very well. He did a 227-353 for his four lap run of the weekend. His best run of the weekend, and that put him provisionally on the middle of the 11th row with three more cars Indeed. left. Yeah, three more cars to go uh, for Alonso not to make the field. Two of the next three cars would have to go faster than him. Indeed. And yeah, everybody, I think well, the general impression that I got was that, oh, because there was a rumor going around at the time that McLaren had gotten a bit of help from Penske. This was later proven to be untrue, as Roger com commented after the session that no. They, of course they weren't going to help McLaren, you plebs. But um, <laughs> they had also borrowed some 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 dampers from Andretti before the run, and it did look like it made a difference, um, given that Alonso had by far his best run of the, of, of the weekend and his most consistent run. I mean, three laps within, two, within again, point one of a mile an hour of each other. It was a lot more stable, given that McLaren was loose as a mofo pretty much all week long um, that they were able to find something. So, yeah, Alonso provisionally puts it second out of the three runners so far and uh yeah as king alluded to two of the next three would have to go faster in order for that to happen Trey, they actually had a, a side by side shot of alonzo's run from saturday and one from sunday or one of the mm. runs from saturday and they actually showed him on the straightaway on the right side his sunday run he actually had the steering wheel cocked to the right a little bit, which means that the setup on Saturday was not 100% correct. So, and they were showing him going through like turn three and turn four, and it was a lot more stable in the corner on Sunday than it was on Saturday. Yikes. So, yeah, clearly big difference on when, when it mattered for the McLaren boys. And I'm not going to lie. You, you, you guys would have had no idea how salty I was thinking, wait, so they they gave Nando some help at the last minute and now he now he's probably going to sneak in. God damn it! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, next up was indeed Sage Karam for Drain Ryan Bolt Racing and Karam uh, nailed it. He really did. He, he got, again, his best run of the weekend came right to the death, including an, an astonishing 228.5 opening lap but everyone was like oh hang on a minute basically uh, Sage delivered when it counted most got a four lap average of 227.7 which comfortably put him through in the end um, all he needed was one of the last two to, to uh, basically make it in and it didn't happen so Sage got in the whole team was delighted like I think Sage knew at the end of lap four that he was probably going to make it and he knew it was a good run and it was a great run yeah, in the end. at a time where they needed the most, when they had been lacking consistency all throughout Saturday and all throughout practice. Indeed, Sage pulled out a massive, massive run when he needed it most. Karam in at that point, basically. Pato Award was up next, um, and as mentioned, they had been converting a road course tub um, in, in that in that 31 carding car to try and get Pato in. 
and it ju- he just did not have the the overall speed for it. Two twenty seven point zero nine two was his run, and very sadly, Pato Award was immediately bumped for not making the top three at the time. Um, a bummer for the newly acquired Red Bull Academy driver and just generally electric talent. Um, he will not contest the 500, which is a real shame. It really is. Um, him not making the field again. There, there were extenuating circumstances that put him into this spot to begin mm. with that go back months prior. Uh, Patricio oh, Ward, yeah. uh, good health and talent and opportunity willing, will be back at this race and he will perform in the years to come. Indeed. Yeah, glad to hear. So, at this point, Hinchcliffe is now in. So, Karim and Hinchcliffe were confirmed in no matter what. Some one one M101 podcast host breathes an enormous sigh of relief and cleans out his underpants. Now, <laughs> thank fuck. <laughs> Basically was the first words I said to myself there. Um, like if anyone saw how nervous Hinch's fiance Becky Dalton was the entire weekend, I was basically Becky. <laughs> Only m- a million times less attractive. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, it went down to the final showdown between Fernando Alonso, who was on the bubble at this point, and Kyle Kaiser for Jinkos Racing. Yeah. Now, as we mentioned... Like this Junko's team had been working around the clock for the last 36 hours to try and get this car ready for one last big, big run. And we were all just sitting there going... So they I, they had Ricardo in the media center after the uh, qualifying run. Everything had taken place. Ricardo employs about 25 to 28 people full-time on his organization. When they added an IMSA program to their schedule... They increased that amount to around 40 to 45 or so when you combine every single team that he has with between the Road to Indy, IMSA, and IndyCar. After they had the incident on Fast Friday, they brought all over the tub that Kaiser ran at Circuit of the Americas on March 24th. They converted that over to a super speedway car. They necessarily have all the bits um, 100% ironed out like they should have for a super speedway. Um, what was really great was that there was a lot of camaraderie amongst the teams. And I have a little bit of a mm-hmm. nugget here for the podcast. Um, many t- teams brought over food. A couple of teams offered parts. But one team in particular offered the greatest assistance possible. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing handed over something to help keep the team energized. They brought over some cases of rich energy drink. I can confirm of that. Of course. <laughs> I can confirm that, and I can confirm from a couple of the team members that they indeed liked it. Was yeah. that was that the most amount of rich energy there ever was in a single location? I don't know, because but, but I... But they've, they've, they've produced 91 million cans. What are you talking about? I actually, well, so I actually had lunch on Saturday at the Ray Hall Hospitality Tent, um, or, you know, area... And they had one cooler full of water, one cooler full of soft drinks, and the soft drink can, uh, cooler, half of it was actually Rich Energy because of Jordan King's sponsorship. And I can confidently say that the team really needed that. Um, they even had uh, Ricardo's wife, actually, Danielle Ungos, actually went to go grab food for the mechanics during the night because they stayed up all night Friday night, and the vast majority stayed up all through Saturday night as well. Uh, up almost, I think, 42 to 44 hours, most of the team were up. 
Right. Oh, wow. They're involved runs to for Target for deodorant and toothbrushes. They're involved a breakfast burrito run for all the mechanics at Cadoba Mexican Grill. All to get oh, wow. this part-time entry into the field and potentially bump out a two-time Formula One world champion in the process. And, and... They skipped the morning practice because they were still working on the car. The best thing that could have happened to them was the rain on Sunday morning because that afforded the team four to five hours to continue working on the car to fix it and get it right. Indeed. And we were all thinking this this was it. This was all or nothing for, for Jinko's racing. And Carl Kaiser goes out. First lap, virtually level with Alonso. Second lap, 227.4 to Alonso's 227.2. Is there going to be a drop-off? Again, Kaiser's third lap was still pretty good. 227.239 to Alonso's 227.1. Final lap, we're all sitting on Tenderhooks thinking, is this going to be enough? Kaiser comes over the line. There was a drop-off on lap four. It was 227.109, and it was just Barely enough for Kaiser to knock Fernando Alonso out of the Indy 500. A 227-372 average, just .019 of a mile an hour faster than Fernando Alonso. And just like that, McLaren gets bumped. And Junko's Racing pulls off what I literally said on Twitter... It's a miracle. <laughs> it was a. It was nothing short of a miracle. I would say, to watch- compared to where they were on Friday to where they are now, I'd say it was the great escape. It was. It, it, it's certainly one of the greatest. Uh, it's one of the greatest last day of qualifying stories in the history. And you don't even have to go far back to 2010 on Bump Day when Sebastian Saavedra, from his hospital bed, somehow managed to get in after having a speed that was bumped through all manner of calamities, including Jay Howard's time not being good enough and Paul Tracy withdrawing because he thought he had more speed in the car. But this, with one run in the car, on a car that had been rebuilt over 48 hours, it's it's one of the greatest miracles in all the Indianapolis 500 history. To give you, to give you an idea of who Junkos Racing beat... McLaren Group Limited, the entire company, employs almost 3,800 people, according to the 2018 financial statements. Yunkos Racing employed less than 50. McLaren Group Limited's revenue, according to the 2018 end-of-year report, 1.26 billion pounds. It's literally Nottingham Forest, like, basically dumping Man City out of the Premier League. This is what we're talking about here. Um, it's literally, it's every Premier League relegation day, 90th minute goal that keeps you in the league. It's the Detroit That's, Lions beating the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's that sort of carnage. And Kaiser was in tears. There was grown men crying and hugging each other in the Junkos camp. Uh, Alonso was sent packing and uh, was very, very quick to leave the track afterwards. And I can't blame him because, uh, gosh, like, we'll, we'll tackle the post-mortem in a minute. I was but, actually on pit oh, road for Lord. that. And I can tell you right now, I was mm-hmm. I was riding them. I was in getting quotes from Ricardo Yunkos and Kyle Kaiser on pit road and a couple of other crew guys. And I can tell you right now, that was amazing. Like, I was on pit road the entire run and Pato's run as well, Patricio's run as well. The crowd 
roared when Kaiser yeah. made that run into the field and bumped Fernando Alonso because they knew what had gone on with Ricardo Yunkos, the fact that they lost their sponsor right before the month of May started and running with an all-white car, hoping and praying that they were going to be quick enough to make the race after their Fast Friday incident. They knew what this race meant to Ricardo, and that was amazing. Seeing everybody just embracing each other, tears flowing, it was very, very emotional there on Pit Road. I can tell you right now, it was amazing. It's a sight I'm going to remember for a long time. My word. So, so yeah, on the last lap shootout, Sage Karam, James Hinchcliffe, and Carl Kaiser made it onto row 11, the final row of the 2019 Indianapolis 500, with Fernando Alonso, Max Chilton, and Pado Award all bumped. We'll run down the full grid after we get to the top nine in a minute. But uh, I think this is the moment we've all been waiting for here, folks. Yeah. Um, apparently, apparently, there is a very spicy article written by Jenna Fryer about just how calamitous this McLaren India attempt was. And all of this have... was compiled from quotes from McLaren CEO Zach Brown. Yes. This is the moment you've all been waiting. King, this is your moment. Yeah. Like, again, I'd just like to clarify, and I will say one more time on the record, I have not read anything more than the first paragraph of this piece. I do not know what I'm about to be told. I, I, we're doing this for entertainment purposes only. Okay? <laughs> so, I, I, I've had five or six people tell me that this is, like, meteorically bad. So, uh... King, the floor is yours. <laughs> I'm just going to preface this by saying that for for every triumph that we see at Indianapolis with, you know, obviously we just went over Yunkos and Kyle Kaiser, we see calamitous journeys to the Speedway, and this is going to go down as one of them. One of the attempts at qualifying that will probably go down in the history books of how not to get into this race. We're talking it's as bad as Leon Saroy having a pole-winning run waved off and then missing the 1969 Indianapolis 500 levels of bad. Oh, Lord. Okay, here we go. The start of the article. The comedy of errors that doomed McLaren's disastrous return to the Indianapolis 500 began months before Alonso failed to qualify for the race. How bad was it? A week before Alonso's first test in the car, the team realized it didn't even have a steering wheel. <laughs> that was the, f that's the <laughs> that's only the part I've read. Paragraph. For three sentences <laughs> in, and we're talking about you were a week out and you didn't know you didn't have a steering wheel. I'm like, okay, how could it possibly... This is already in the realm of pretty stupid. Like, how does it get worse from here? Like, I, I, I don't even know. <laughs> King, King, tell me more. <laughs> McLaren CEO Zach Brown acknowledged Monday the team was woefully unprepared and small oversight snowballed into the final result. Bob Fernley, the head of the operation, was fired hours after Alonso missed the race, and Brown returned to England to digest the, embarrass the embarrassment of his venture. Brown on Monday yeah. provided the Associated Press a detailed timeline of the bloopers and blunders that led to Alonso missing the race. The last piece, the two-time Formula One world champion needed in his quest to win the motorsport version of the Triple Crown. Quote, I don't think we came into this arrogant. 
I think we were unprepared, said Brown. We didn't deserve to be in the race, and it's our own fault. It's not like we showed up and gave our best. We defeated ourselves, end quote. He's honest. Yikes. He's honest, at least. He's honest. He's honest about like I was gonna say, like we have, we just barely discussed Bob Fernley got sacked about literally twelve <laughs> hours after this. This even happened. Did anybody see Bob over the course of the entire week? Like I once didn't. or twice. Like once or twice. Where the hell was Bob as all this shit was going down? Seriously, like I, I, again, I don't even know what that quote-unquote shit is. So yep. <laughs> carry on, King. The path to missing the thirty-three driver field began when the car was not ready the moment Texas Motor Speedway opened for the April test. Brown had personally secured a steering wheel the previous week from Cosworth to use for the test, and the mistakes piled up from there. Quote, We didn't get out until midday. Our steering wheel was not done on time. That's just lack of preparation and project management organizational skills, said Brown. That's where this whole thing fell down. In the project management, Zach Brown should not be digging around for steering wheels. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> got a point. Like this, oh, he's, he Jesus. has got a point. And here we oh, go. I was like, for, for, for a second, there, I almost thought. Yeah, I was, I was Dre, say, it only gets worse. I was, like, was going to say, did Zach Brown just quote himself in the first person? Yeah, he did. He uh, did. He did. Just clarification. <laughs> Zach Brown referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> Zach Brown should not be out here looking for steering wheels. Like, that, if we had episode titles that were that long, that is what I would be going for. Zach Brown should not be digging for steering wheels. Carry on, King. That is hilarious. A cosmetic issue at the Texas test haunted McLaren deep into the last week at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. McLaren purchased a car from technical partner Carlin. And though the car was orange when McLaren received it, it was not the proper McLaren papaya orange. It had to be repainted after the test. And that still had not been completed when Alonzo crashed his McLaren-built car last weekend. The Carlin Spare was in the paint shop 30 minutes from the track, more than a month after McLaren had complained about the color, and it ultimately cost McLaren almost two full days of track time. The team looked foolish as other teams were able to move into backup cars in mere hours. James Hinchcliffe crashed in Saturday qualifying with back in track in his spare that afternoon. Whoa, 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 pause, stop everything. Uh, 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 um, am I hearing this right? They lost two days of track running because the car was the wrong fucking color. For a month. It was the wrong color for a month. Not just the what wrong the hell? It's not just that they showed up with the wrong color. It wasn't the shade of orange that they requested. It was orange. What? It wasn't the right orange. For what? A- I'm broken. <laughs> what the hell? Their car was stuck in the in the office for a month because it was the wrong shade of orange. No, no, Dre, Dre. It wasn't stuck there. They could have repainted it. When they needed it, they needed to repaint it then. So they lost two days of time. It was sitting in there. McLaren had compaint. They just never got around to repainting the car. Ah! <laughs> Do you want more? <laughs> Do you want I, I, more? I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure I can handle much worse. You've already started. You've already started. You better finish this damn thing. How? How does it possibly get worse than a paint error? How? How? McLaren's poor showing is one of the biggest failures in Indy 500 history. Roger Penske missed the show with Al Unser Jr. and Emerson Fittipaldi in 95. A year after dominating the race, reigning kart champion Bobby Rahal missed it in 1993. And two-time Indy winner Roger Ward never got up to speed to make the field in 1965. The McLaren budget for, for this Indy 500 was strong. Every sponsorship opportunity had been sold, and the venture was a guaranteed commercial success for McLaren. Brown was somewhat hands-off and focused on the critical rebuild of the Formula One part of the program. Now he laments waiting too long to become heavily involved in the Indy 500 effort. He also believes he was too slow in assigning McLaren sporting director Gilles DeFerrin, a former Indy 500 winner, oversight of the program. Quote, I should have been closer to Indy, but I could never compromise Formula One. End quote, Brown said. Uh, quote, uh, <laughs> at, at 9.01 in the morning, when we weren't on track at the first test, that's when we failed to qualify for the Indianapolis 500. We didn't ring the fire alarm quick enough because we could have recovered after the first test. I'm angry at myself because I was uncomfortable all the way up to the first test, and I should have followed my instinct to get more involved. End quote. Many this issues. This is the man who... Hang on, hang on. Sorry to cut you, King, just for a second here. This is the same guy who, on Fernando Alonso's last F1 race, literally said to him on the radio, let's go get the Triple Crown. And then he's mad at himself for not putting enough commitment into said project. This is a clown show, folks. So, so like, we're getting to the we're getting close to the big finale, the the biggest oh moment where it could have got real bad. It could have got even worse than it did. Go on. Many of the issues were beyond Brown's control. The car had an electrical issue at last month's test at Indy, and an employee was mm-hmm. taken off the team for the air. Alonso had another electrical issue on opening day for the 500, and the alternator and wireling, wireling, wiring loom had to be re- replaced. Alonso crashed on the second day, and McLaren missed all of day three rebuilding the spare from Carlin that was finally the proper shade of orange. Of course. Fast Friday showed the car still needed speed, and Alonso went into qualifying on shaky ground. His first qualifying run was sabotaged by a tire puncture, which wasn't detected beforehand because Brown said the team had purchased incorrect tire sensors. What? <laughs> oh my god, so that's part of the reason they had the puncher. It gets worse. It gets worse. Oh, please. Spare me. <laughs> Alonzo wound up one of the six drivers in the last row shootout on Sunday, and the panicked um, McLaren team begged and borrowed across the paddock for any assistance available. Alonzo went out to practice on Sunday with an entirely new setup. But in the frantic in the frantic changeover, a mistake was made in converting inches to the metric system. The English team uses. Whoa, 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 whoa! The car scraped and sparked on his first lap. It had to be fixed, and Alonso got in just five more laps before rain ended the session. Pause. Pause. 
They f- they for- they they forgot to convert the metric to imperial. Yeah, they forgot to convert imperial back to metric f- for the team because the team is mainly composed of volunteers from the F one team. So they're all European and used to using the metric system. Oh my fucking god! Wait, like, wait for it. We're we're about to hit meltdown. We're about to hit so meltdown. Like, so like that's why it was scraping against the ground on Saturday morning because they, they didn't convert, convert metric. To, wow. This is so bad! <laughs> when it came time for Alonzo to make his final last gas qualifying attempt late Saturday, Sunday afternoon, the Spaniard was given a car that Brown and DeFerrin were concerned might not perform. Quote, Jill and I went to the motorhome and told Fernando, we're, gonna, we're going to try this, but this could go well or really wrong. Are you comfortable? Brown said. And Fernando replied, let's go for it. Fernando agreed that he never backed away from any challenge. But I think we should mention here, there was a chance that Fernando Alonso wouldn't have taken part in the last wow. row shootout. So Zach Brown literally offered Alonso a chance to bail. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good God, that's ugly. Could you imagine the PR disaster if McLaren had to pull out a statement saying that yeah we're gonna pull we're gonna pull Alonso from the from the from the whole meeting, the amount of egg that would have been uh, somehow there would have been even more egg on his face than what actually happened here. Yeah. Like I would have put AJ Foyt the fourth busting up with his family's team during time trials to shame. I just. I just despaired. They literally offered Nando a chance to bail. We're we're not done. We're not done. How are we not done? There's still more errors. (laughs) Go on. Quote, we went out with an experiment that we did overnight. We changed everything on the car because we thought that maybe we need something from the mental side different to go into the race with some confidence. Alonso said, we went out knowing what the car will do in turn one, but we're still flat, so we tried. They didn't know what the car would do, yeah. Oh, yeah, they didn't know what the car would do in turn one, but we're flat, so we still tried, end quote. The The new setup and assistance from other teams indeed got the car up to speed. But Alonso was knocked from the field by a 23-year-old Kyle Kaiser from Tiny Yunkos Racing. McLaren discovered after their qualifying run that the car had the wrong gear ratio setup. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! So after all of this... That, like, in other words, Nando barely got cut and the team had the wrong gear in the entire time. Oh. My. God. Quote, we actually had a 229 mile per hour car, but we had a 227 and a half gearing. So we beat ourselves again while we almost made it, said Brown. We really did put put it all on the line and you could feel the anxiety there was some real heroism in that and I don't want the world to think McLaren is a bunch of idiots (laughs) because while we did have a few while we did have a few 
we had some real stars, end quote. Yeah, there was one uh, mechanic from the McLaren team who had uh, posted on social media that they were sad that after working since January on the project that he's not going to make it in the field. I saw a couple of guys on tw- I-, I saw a couple of guys on Twitter that have genuinely been a part of the crew to try and get that car built, and it was heartbreaking seeing their reactions. Like we we forget in the in the midst of all this jokery and often you know let's be honest a little bit of gentle mockery that well I say gentle that you know McLaren not making the cut here. There were some very human stories behind this, and it is kind of tragic that you know there were so many screw ups and. How how on earth did they get the gear in wrong? How did they just shave an, a mile and an hour off their own car? Alonso has rejected an offer from the team McLaren to purchase a seat in the Indianapolis 500 field for him. Quote, I feel an obligation to the fans and sponsors. We let them down. We didn't fulfill our promise, and I didn't, and I think they need more than just an apology, Brown said. There will be repercussions for those who don't deserve to work for a great team like McLaren. We will look we will look at what we learned here and the list is a mile long. I hope people appreciate that we go for it. We are racers and Fernando is a star and we're not quitters. We want to come back. End quote, and that is the end of the article. Oh my motherfucking God! McLaren, um, I think it is is great to see that they want to come back, but I think the little nugget of information we should take, McLaren were prepared to buy Fernando a ride in the field, but Alonso said no. Dre, I will go ahead and ask, is that better than when you found out that Fernando Alonso was the number two driver of 2018? Um... I'll get back to you next week when my brain actually <laughs> recovers. Um, One more uh, question. Are McLaren cancelled? <laughs> McLaren cancelled. Um, yes, first of all. And you know what? Can, can I preemptively give McLaren the Golden Cock Award right now, <laughs> even though we're only in May? If somebody screws up more than this in motorsport this year... I will personally handcraft them a golden cock and send it to their office myself. Um, <laughs> it's over. I, I, I don't care what anyone tells me. The golden cock, like the golden cock, Motorsport 101 award for 2019 goes to McLaren. I'm doing the bookies PR move. I'm immediately paying out on this bet. Like it's over. No, no one tops this. This is. It's just wrong on so many levels. Like, just oh my! God. I, I'm back. Honestly, I'm genuinely glad, and I actually have a measure of respect for Fernando for basically a mercy killing here. It's it's, it's it just yeah. Like, I'm I'm grateful Fernando did not take that offer from McLaren to buy him a ride in the field. I love that Zach Brown last night was like, yeah, we're going to bow out gracefully without actually revealing they tried to buy him a seat and try and take all the credit for it. Piss off, Zach. Like, seriously. Like, Jesus Christ, I'm glad Fernando has got some form of conscience. Like, g- like just, this is a mercy killing. Like, like, I think, like, Fernando, even Fernando was probably, like, again, as, as Henry points out in the Discord, Alonso handled that a lot better than I would have done. 
I would have, like, if I'd have known that this was this many errors, I'd have walked out of that Woking factory and never looked back. Or at least got on a tub of gasoline out and set half the place on fire. Because <laughs> that is humiliating for McLaren on... Like, it was bad enough they didn't make it. But when you find out that despite all of the screw-ups, Alonso very, very nearly bailed them out by just 0.02 of a mile an hour in the end. So literally, we're talking hundreds of a second here. Like, Alonso still very nearly bailed them out for all this. Like, which is, If again, they had the correct itself. gear ratio, they would have been in the field. <laughs> Comfortably. If they would have converted the units right. They would have been in the field. <laughs> King, if they had a 229 mile an hour car, they would have had a shot at making the fast nine. Oh, <sighs> they had the potential. That just proves they had the potential all along to comfortably make it in and even challenge for the, for a top 10 spot. And instead, they're going home with their tail between their legs. Fernley was sacked less than 12 hours after after Alonso got bumped. Alonso's got egg on his face and has to basically apologize for his team being incompetent on every level. There were so many little things they could have done that would have that would have got them in comfortably, but literally everything went wrong. I like just I despair. Just the start. Zach was completely right at the beginning. What does your operation look like when you have the CEO of a two billion dollar company personally buying you a steering wheel? We should have known right there and then steering the disaster wheel. this was going to wheel. be. <laughs> gloves and gloves and steering wheel. Come on, move! <laughs> I just, I, this Zach Brown does not go out of his way to buy steering oh, wheels. <laughs> I can't get over that line. <laughs> oh God, I just, I just have that that segment from High Noon in my head. So he's like, you're telling me that this Formula One team bought a chassis from this IndyCar team, and this IndyCar team needed to get the, get that car this color, but they couldn't get that car to be that color. <laughs> They couldn't convert millimeters into <laughs> they inches. They couldn't convert millimeters to inches. They could. They bought. They bought the wrong tire sensors, and then, in the in a do or die run, they lost a mile and a half off their own terrible gearing. I, I despair. They they didn't deserve to make it. I don't care what anyone says to me. I don't care how big a McLaren stand you are. This is a clown show, on every conceivable level. It's a clown show. And McLaren should be ashamed of themselves for not making this in. Because the amount of minor screw-ups that could have easily... Again, as I mentioned, they still very nearly got out of jail. Despite all this. It was, what, six inches? H how was it in the paint shop for a month? Yeah, how, how? was it in the shop for a month in the wrong color? How? How? I, I just... This is world-class shithousing. Like, this is just incompetence. Honestly? On every level. Honestly, if they made the field, I would have felt horrible. The fact that they would have made the field and Yunkos wouldn't have made the field. Especially when you know all of what happened with McLaren. Like I said, they very... They, like, they did all of these screw-ups and just barely didn't make it. Like, how heartbreaking would it have been for Junkos if they didn't make it in despite all that effort by literally .02 of a mile an hour when McLaren was, an in was a clown show for literally months on end <laughs> and still very nearly got in?
I just... Oh my god. Thank god Fernando's got a conscience. <laughs> Thank Jesus. God he didn't take the offer for a ride. I don't know who they would have you know bought how- out. I don't I don't want to know who they would have bought out. If anyone coughed up their seat for them, I would have cancelled them on the spot. Like, Jesus Christ. That is embarrassing. That is embarrassing on every level. A USAC dirt racing team that had never set up an IndyCar to run made it. But McLaren International did not. Let that sink in. Yeah, I think on that note, we should take a look back at what happened on Saturday. Right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Dre just took all the words out of my mouth. The performative number one Fernando Alonso fan for 15 years. I'm not bitter Mm. at anybody that made it in at McLaren's expense because McLaren, with all the preparation, you just heard it. They, They came in prepared. I just got nothing. I just stood there after that run. I collapsed face down into my bed and realized this will still be an awesome race without Fernando Alonso plodding ground at the back, which is what would be the alternative if he didn't get bumped to begin with. Should we, should we talk about the top nine? Yes, should we, uh, should we get in the fast nine first, or should we cut through the middle rows that locked in uh, on Saturday? Yeah, we I, 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 yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll run up from from uh, row ten upwards. So again, this is the this is this is the this is positions thirty through ten. The guys who were guaranteed to make it in on Saturday, but obviously weren't quite fast enough to make the top nine shootout session. So from row ten onwards. 30th, Pippa Man's back! Yay! Yes, Pippa Man with Klaus and Marshall, a USAC dirt track team. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Brilliant, brilliant story from those guys, and delighted to see Pippa Man crying, but for good reasons this time, rather than the heartbreak of last year. Congrats, Pippa, and everyone there for making it back in. In 30th spot, a dirt team made it in while McLaren didn't. Good lord. Uh, Phoenix Rosenquist, who recovered from his crash to make it in 29th place, ahead of Zach Veach in 28th for the Andretti boys. How about Ben Hanley at Dragon Speed, making it onto row 9 in 27th place? Before before (laughs) Kaiser's run, that was the miracle of qualifying. For a team that came together in weeks before the season, with a driver that had no speed, and he makes it solidly in the field. Yep. Everybody wrote Hanley off. Brilliant last run we to get into the British Row 9! All British Indeed. Row 9! The British grinders have made it onto Row 9. Ben Hanley in 27th, ahead of Jordan King in 26th, and then Jack Harvey in 25th. Um, as, as, as Kevin points out, that Dragon Speed car was ready three days before St. Pete at the start of the season perspective there folks Matt Leist on row 8 in 24th with Santino Ferrucci in 23rd Ryan Hunter Ray in 22nd row 7 the mullet himself J.R. Hildebrand Stanford Educated's finest in 21st place with Charlie Kimball the only Colin that somehow made it in um, in 20th ahead of Oriel Servia in 19th well done Oriel by the way um, great job there and still the, the king of my favourite grid joke Right, there's some other guy in this race. Fernando something. <laughs> um, <laughs> row six, and um, there must be some sort of mistake. Scott Dixon says he's in 18th place. That can't be right. Um, <laughs> that is a stacked row six. 
two winners on either side sandwiching a second generation driver with the potential to win. Graham Rahal there in 17th place ahead of Tony Kanaan in 16th place for Foyt Racing there. Good result from Foyt to get it, to get that high up the field there. Of their main season has been a bit of a disaster so far. Row five, we have James Davison who put up a pretty damn impressive 228.2 run to get onto the top 15 ahead of Takuma Sato in 14th place and uh, again the 2016 winner. And Marcus Eriksson's first attempt at the 500 gets him in 13th place. Impressive stuff from the Swede there. 228.5 average. Very, very impressive indeed. Um, row four as well. Uncle Helio is back, everybody. <laughs> Uncle Helio in the yellow pencil number three car. Uncle Helio for 228.523 in 12th place. Ahead of our favourite shithouser, Connor Daly, like, in 11th place. Why is Connor Daly all the way up here? <laughs> he must have had a nosebleed from running this high. Like, Connor Daly has been due a decent Indy 500 for years. And he's starting from P11. Great job from Connor. And uh, I've got to mention, guys, what does Helio still have, RJ? Magnificent Though, hair. I do have to mention, Great hair. on the broadcast, Tony Kanan gave Elio shade and called him out for dyeing his hair. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I never heard about this! He dyes his hair? Yeah. Um, I, I, this is breaking news on the Motorsport 101. Heli Helio Cachanevis has officially been cancelled. Um, he no longer has great hair. He has help from just for men. Um, our new king of great hair is Joseph Newgarden. So shall it be written? So shall it be done? Praise be. The Church of Dre has made an official decision on this. You've already written off Colton Herta? Col Colton Herta has a mightily impressive mullet. I have to say. I don't know. It's not as impressive as J.R. Hildebrand's Camaro cut. That is business True. in the front and party in the back. <laughs> oh, yes. Again, I love those cowpoints out in the Discord. Tony, what I'm <laughs> talking about other people's hair. Yeah, That's Tony, so Tony, bitter Tony from Tony Kanaan retreated to the homestead 20 years ago when he was driving for Forsyth. Yes, Tony Kanaan came on home in 2001 and he's dropping shade about Helio dyeing his hair. How dare he? <laughs> Tony Kanaan, wow, what a troll. That is epic, but uh, sadly Uncle Helio has been cancelled for cheating his way to great hair. But uh, the last spot, who the, the top runner that didn't quite make it in to the fast line was Marco Andretti, who was running a beautiful tribute to his dad's old livery. Whoa, whoa. His, his grandfather's, grandfather's yeah. livery. Grandfather, sorry. Sorry, my bad. Yes, but, because uh, this year is the 50th anniversary of the 1969 Indianapolis 500. Where it's Marco's year. It's where it's Mar it has to be Marcus your 50th anniversary of Mario Andretti winning his only Indianapolis 500. If if it's not this year, it's never going to happen, Marco. No, no, no pressure. It's a beautiful livery. My God, he was tenth, two twenty eight point seven on Saturday. So, in case you haven't, in case, in case you've been ticking off the names on your call out sheet. The fast nine runners in no particular order. Ed Jones, Colton Herter, Will Power, Sebastian Bourdais, Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pagano, Spencer Piggott, and Alexander Rossi. How is this um, going to play out? So, uh, I have to ask. Now, can we all go ahead and replay the uh, Colton Herter quote saying that Alonzo's now in his playground? <laughs> yeah, that aged brilliantly. 
Colton Herter is a fucking god. <laughs> Only he would call out his shot like that. This man was born in the year 2000, and he is out here making a mockery of Fernando Alonso. He showed I up love to it. time trials with the Infinity Gauntlet. Literally. Yes. Literally. I... I love this man. I unequivocally love this man unconditionally. He is wholesome and he must be protected. Uh, so, we like, I think while we were all still a little bit in shock from what just happened after the last lap shootout, we were going through the fast nine. Same rules apply. One run to decide your fate. And, uh, I mean, should we go bottom to top here, fellas? Yeah, let's go bottom um, to top. Let, let's go bottom to top. So, in ninth place... Um, with an average of 228.2. Alex Rossi? Wait a minute, he's normally the king round here these days. Yeah, like, <laughs> t- I think, kind of flash forward to Monday, Alex Rossi's still looking fast out there. He can cut it through tra- traffic like nobody's business, but it seemed like in qualifying, he just didn't have that next level t- to win pole. Yeah, just didn't have the ultimate speed needed. And again, I think the magic number in lap speed here was 230, and Rossi didn't even have a 229 lap in there in his final run. Um, but again, we all know that Rossi's greatest strength round here is his ability to sigh through traffic. Certainly will be one to watch. Um, in eighth place, in the number two car, Joseph Newgarden, 228.396. You are, Jay? He has magnificent hair. Really no, assistance uh, <laughs> no assistance needed. No, none. Can't none. tell the same about his teeth, though. Ooh! Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh! You and- know how many children had messed up teeth? <laughs> Especially down at this part of the region of the U.S.? <laughs> In all, in all fairness to Joseph, the fact that he can drive a race car and win an IndyCar championship with that issue, he has my respect. Damn right. The wind-up chattering teeth are not a metaphor for him. <laughs> I was going to say, somehow I feel like Crystal Hardy is no longer invited to the cookout. Um. <laughs> Joseph, 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 I will say this, Joseph has been very, very candid about that, and honestly, I applaud him for talking about that, because let's face it, a lot of people aren't comfortable with, you know, being upfront about that, especially when you're in a position where you're driving a 225, 230 mile an hour race car in front of over, you know, a quarter of a million people here on race day. It's not easy to talk about, especially if you're very self-conscious about that. So hats off to Joseph Newgarden for having the guts to talk about that and bring it up to the forefront. Off the... After you mock him first. Of great, great, of great, great job, Chris. Of course, of course. Well, hey, to, to, to be fair, he brought it up, or it was brought up to us in St. Petersburg, so it happened way back in March. Ah, good for him. He's, 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 he's an attractive enough fella as it is. I didn't think that would actually be a problem for him, but yeah, props to him for that. Again, I'm the British guy. We make we have bad dental jokes all the time. Somehow, um, I, I can relate to this. Joseph again never really had the top the top top level speed to get in. Um, that was saved for another Penske. We'll get to later. Sebastian Bordet rounds off row three in seventh place. He was a bit frustrated um, in Saturday, basically saying the team gave me an amazing car, but I made a mistake and threw it away. I don't think they'll be complaining too hard about seventh king. Yeah, when you're in the top three rows, you always stand a great chance of you know being in a position to win this race. 
In, indeed. And one of the few guys that actually recovered from lap two to three as well. Great run from Borde there. And again, like they'll coin the blueprint of the small team to, on how to do this properly. Um, right. And Borde, <laughs> now um, one um, of the two drivers in the field, you can say, this is the token old guy who's done everything except win this race. <laughs> Another one of them's in the front row. Hmm. Indeed. Row two in sixth place, Will Power. And I think everybody was a little bit shocked when they realized... Oh, wait. Power hasn't got the speed here. But he does arrive as your reigning, defending, undisputed Borgwarder Trophy champion. Indeed, but I regret to inform you that, that Brock Lesnar has run down to the ring with his money in the brand beefcake. <laughs> um, Damn it. Thanks for spoiling <laughs> the end of Game of Thrones for everybody. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> See I, see, I always had Mustafa Ali claiming the iron frame, personally. But uh, willpower in sixth, 228.645 um, in the end. And, uh, yeah, power in sixth place. A little bit of a shock. I, mean, I think a lot of people had power now, maybe for pole position, but just didn't have the ultimate speed in his setup at all. On the middle of row two, Colton motherfucking Herter, ladies and gentlemen. This kid is going to be seriously, seriously good very, very soon, isn't he? This, 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 is, this was exceptional. Yeah, kid. this first attempt. First attempt at the 500, and he qualifies middle of the second row. Incredibly impressive. Just super impressive. Um, again, 229 average as well. I mean, that is sensational from, you know, best Honda in the field super fast all the way through and again not a fluke he was up there in terms of speed all week long not entirely surprising but still pretty darn brilliant so uh yeah all those comments talking about how you know Fernando was coming into his playground and everyone thought it was just being a young pretentious rookie um read it and weep Colton Herter has words for you um brilliant brilliant performance from the young mullet <sighs> <laughs> um, on the front of row four, in a tribute to Kimi Raikkonen's 2007 Ferrari, um, which cities are we going with here? We're going for plucky Brit Ed Jones in um, in fourth place um, with a 229.6. I mean, this car was a bullet in a straight line. I think at one point RJ had a 241 mile an hour closing speed. Yes, he did. On the back on of the, turn two. On the back stretch, he hit 241 miles an hour. That speeds you used to see when they had turbo V8s before the split. Yeah, m mental. Um, <laughs> mental stuff. Ed Jones had a very, very fast race car. Couldn't stop it tailing off towards it. Had a 230.1 opening lap. Um, couldn't quite hold the speed together over four. But that is a that is going to be a very, very fast race car. Keep an eye on it. Um, Ed Jones in fourth. So we get to the front row. And another guy who had been super fast all week long had the fastest time on on saturday couldn't quite convert it in the shootout in third and the only good thing to come out of manchester united in the last month spencer piggott in third spencer's at the wheel <laughs> <laughs> spencer's at the wheel and it isn't falling off this time and he's not on a provisional license Good news, everybody. He was the last man to go after being fastest on Saturday. Again, didn't quite have the legs to do it overall. But still, Spencer on the front row, it's no longer a fluke. He is he is really good around here. My word. Former Yunkos <laughs> Racing driver, Spencer Pickett. That's right. You. Very true. Very true indeed. Like and yeah. One, two. Are we about to get 
three Ed Carpenter racing cars in a row? Yeah, three Ed Carpenter <laughs> racing cars in the top four. Spoiler, I wonder who we're going to be talking <laughs> about next. Um, 229.826 average from Spencer Piggott, narrowly pipped by Uncle Ed himself. Uh, as you joked about it before, the man that never has to buy a beer in this town again if he wins. Ed Carpenter, 229.889. Uncle Ed has done it again, RJ. Uncle Ed has done it again. I said it as he was qualifying. This is why he comes back every single year as a oval ringer. Because as long as he's still this quick, he still feels like he has a chance to win the Indianapolis 500. If he still feels he has a chance to win the Indianapolis 500 as his owner and driver, he's going to keep coming back and doing this. Yep. Yeah, and for good reason, because he's still stupidly fast around here. Um, Oval master himself, uh, Uncle Ed Carpenter, one of only two guys that had multiple 230-mile-an-hour laps, uh, a 229.889 average, good enough for second on the grid, but we've not mentioned one man here. We shall call it Norman's dad. <laughs> Darth Pagano is back, ladies and gentlemen. Your pole sitter for the 104th Indianapolis 500. Simon Mother Trucking Pagano. Two, shut up, the camera's 130. Forgive me. <laughs> but it was Simon Mother Fucking Pagano with a 229.992 average. Gentlemen. Pagano is back! Yeah, and somebody actually mentioned it to Pagano, the little fact that it's been exactly 100 years since we've had our last French pole sitter at the Indianapolis 500, since Rene Thomas uh, qualified on pole for the 1919 Indianapolis 500. So he started on the front row in all three places. He started third in 2015, second last year, and now he's got the pole position for the first time in his eighth start in this race. I love that Simon himself admitted like after, after that brilliant run and having to sit and watch Spencer. They were interviewing Simon after his run, and he said, well, this is the most nervous moment of my entire career. <laughs> and he got it. Um, brilliant, outstanding run. Three laps over 230 miles an hour from Pagano. Cam apparently blew out his entire lung when he found out Pagano was on pole. Um a, a, a truly exceptional run. Simon Pagano is your Indy 500 pole sitter for this coming Sunday. And, uh, whew, drama, to say the least. Um, a, a crazy Indy 500 week of qualifying, you guys. But, uh, I mean, let's get it out of the way before we end the show, or end this segment, I should say. Your Indianapolis 500 winner for 2019 will be... I said Rossi before the season. I'm sticking with it. I'm giving you a chance. This is, this is like, let's make a deal. I'm, I've, I've revealed many zonks. This is your chance to change your pick. Mm. I, man. I have an idea. How about we have a pick from the Fast 9 and a pick from the rest of the field? Okay. Hmm. Let's think. Pick from the top nine, Ed Carpenter. I have, I have a hunter's Carpenter's year. I just do. I have a feeling this, I mean, he ran so well here last year. Pick from outside of that. Hmm. Maybe Uncle Helio. Mm, he gets number four done. Okay. All right. I, I respect that. You know, from outside the fast nine, I've got to say, y- you never want to count out Scott Ditson. Yes, he's starting 18th. Mm-hmm. But um, 
and ASC are, are pretty shrewd. If they don't have the pace in qualifying, they'll probably get something together in terms of their race setup. I'd certainly hope they do so for Felix because uh, he didn't look so good, especially after wrecking. Um, in the Fast 9 itself, I'm going with Alexander Rossi still. I'm going with Alexander Rossi. I saw what he did in his rookie year. I saw what he did from the last row to nearly win the race. Uh, he didn't have the speed in qualifying. I think he's got a good chance. I love that we've also, our Discord's popping in and off right now because King's internet shit the bed. <laughs> Technical stuff's always a fun okay, time on the show. it should be better now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a million times better. So, King, for editing purposes, do you want to run through your picks one more time? Uh, it should be good on my on my uh, recording, but just so everyone knows, uh, in the Fast 9, I kind of want to go Simon Pagano, but I'm going with Sebastian Bourdais in the Fast 9. And He went for his other French friend, for God's <laughs> sake. And outside of the Fast 9, uh, he was close to winning last year, but had the stop for fuel. I'm going to go with Jack Harvey. Whoa. Oh. Bold. Bold Whoa. pick. I like that pick a lot. Um, inside the Fast 9, I'm saying Rossi, but outside the Fast 9, um, I'm going to go with a driver that I think needs this badly to restart his career. Connor Daly. Daily time? Daily time. I see. Yeah, I will say this. this is spicy meatball. We also have a lot of drivers like near the back, like Jack Harvey, uh, if Felix Rosenquist, who can navigate traffic that could show very, very well. Kaiser, I think, is could be on for a top half of the field finish. Um, you know, what's funny is that Simon Pagino said in the post-practice press conference on Monday here that Santino Ferrucci actually was figuring out traffic very, very nicely. He could be on for a top 10 if he uh, plays his cards right. But with Dixon being in 18th, he's going to be very difficult to pass. Interesting perspectives there. We'll be back next week on the show to talk about the 103rd riding of the Indy 500. That'll be in the main event slot of next week's show. Because sod the Monaco Grand Prix, for God's sake. <laughs> Yo, no, something crazy um, might happen at Monaco. Could you even say that with a clear conscience? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not Zach Brown. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Oh, the district musical interview will be back to talk about MotoGP at Le Mans. Fun times. Ladies and gentlemen, number 93 is back. And uh, he took everybody's soul for the second race in a row. Uh, MotoGP at Le Mans. And uh, it was another pretty comfortable victory in the end for one Mark Marquez. <laughs> as, as Cam's in the Discord, Daddy came home again, basically. So, um, King, I mean, Marquez took the front and then pretty much just took it from there. It was like watching Dovi win a race. It was really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's Marquez back. He's, he's, he's here to make up for losing that Circle of the Americas. He ain't going to give one up. <laughs> So, yeah, when one streak ended, another one has seemingly begun. Um, I am kicking myself that I missed this, but, you know, in practice, Marquez had yet another miraculous save from a dramatic low side incident, and he saved it. 
Yeah, if you haven't seen the picture, go out of your way to find it. Unfortunately, MotoGP were a bit cheeky and kind of gave it away before the, like, the magazine guys could buy it and put it in their magazines. I know Simon Patterson of MCN was pretty pissed off about that. <laughs> but uh, there is, like, it, it, it's, it's turn eight, the double apex right-hander before the straight, before the uh, chicanes, the back end of the circuit. Um, and... Normally, if you run wide through there at full steering and full lean angle, you will bin it. I'm pretty sure, like, Jorge Lorenzo had a very similar accident a few minutes earlier, and he binned it. Again, there's a picture in the Discord for the supporters, guys, that haven't seen it already. That shot is literally what happened when Marquez put a wheel on, on, on the curb on the outside... He did not crash from that position. His an, Do not ask me how. Most of his <laughs> leg and his entire forearm are on the pavement. And the scary thing is this probably doesn't make the top three of Mark Marquez's craziest saves. That's... That's... That's ridiculous. That's unheard of. <laughs> it's like... like the, the, the big quote from Matt Oxley, who writes for Motorsport Magazine, is one of the best MotoGP guys in the big. Uh, he literally just repeated, he didn't fucking fall. He didn't fucking fall. What the actual fuck was his actual words he used to describe that? No, somehow he didn't crash from there. That is an epic shot. That's one of the best motorcycle photos in any motorsports photos you will see in 2019 he did not crash from there do not ask me how the man has got such ridiculous elbow and knee strength to be able to just save these sorts of miraculous near crashes um that i have i have ever seen i i, I just don't even know the man like like bends the laws of physics um, he qualified on pole position after a a basically a uh, a, a wet session that uh, got worse as the 15 minutes went on. He stuck it on pole. He got into an early dogfight with Jack Miller, which was well fun. Because um, we all know Jack Miller is fearless. <laughs> he really is. Um, he was one of the few guys that genuinely stuck it down the inside of Marquez into turn two and tried to take it from the front. Marquez eventually got him back and then pulled out a little bit of a gap. It was a couple of seconds in hand and it was enough for him to take the victory in the end. Miller would go on to finish in fourth. But uh, yeah, a, a pretty dominant win from Marquez. We did get some fun at the end, King. The, uh, the factory Ducatis went to scrap for a bit. We had Dovi versus Petrucci in the battle for second in the end. That was some fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I was thinking maybe they should have gone full Italian and called team orders. Hmm. Uh, like, like uh, apparently Dovi was very grateful they didn't do that after the race, saying, you know, I thought there'd be some mapping eight jokes being made there after last season, <laughs> but uh, no, Ducati let let them boys race, which I thought was funny because Petrucci made some audacious lunges over the course of the end of that race, and I thought. But Petrux is going to ram this dude off the road in a minute if he doesn't keep this up. And um, I, I was having a lot. Like, King, do you remember when Ian only took out Davizioso in Argentina a couple of years ago? Yes. I was. Yes. I, I was having like flashbacks to that, and I was shitting myself. <laughs> um, I was just like, "Are we sure this is a good idea?" <laughs> like. I was just like, oh boy. But uh, no, they both survived. They were both very complimentary of each other after the race. So I'm applauding each other's fairness and respect 
over the course of the fight, and uh, Dovi would narrowly come out on top by just over a tenth from his teammate Petrucci for a double Ducati podium, their first of the season. As mentioned before, Jack Miller in fourth. Um, Valentino Rossi, kind of in no man's land here in fifth. He was he very almost beat Miller for fourth over the line, but Miller held on on that one. But uh, we have to talk about the man in sixth. And uh, one of King's boys, the best ever dry finish for a KTM in MotoGP. Sixth place for Paul Spagaro. What a performance oh, that was. praise me. Praise me. Ugh, wow. I mean, and this was with a time penalty. You got a 1.8 second time penalty for corner cutting. But he still comfortably finished in sixth ahead of Frankie Morbidelli. Um... But yeah, the best ever dry finish. And you could see what it meant in the garage afterwards. Like hugs and, and fist bumps and strong pats on the back all around in the KTM garage for that one. A brilliant performance from a, a definitely a, a KTM team that has struggled um, across the board so far this season. But a nice little bit of hope to say, hey, maybe it's not all the bike, Johan. Um, as a pole in sixth place there for Red Bull KTM. That kid is a hell of a rider like we don't talk about Paul Spagaro enough mm. in the grand scheme of things he is a brilliant brilliant rider um, and all the good stuff that has come out of KTM in the last two years has come from Paul Spagaro and you know he deserves a lot of credit for steering that factory in the right direction then the two Patronus Yamaha boys Frankie Morbidelli and Fabio Quattararo Morbidelli 7th Quattararo 8th Guys, if Quattararo gets a clean Grand Prix, he's going to do some damage. Like, seriously. The man just needs a clean Grand Prix, but... Like, King, he had the fastest lap of the race. Like, this this man can ride a motorcycle. Holy shit. Um, I don't know how much of it you saw, but he was scything his way through, the, through like, the upper midfield towards the end of that race. It was... Very, very impressive. And there's already talk, King, that they might be replacing Maverick Vinales with him for next season. This dude's an salient. Yep. I know it's only been a few races into his premier class career. What I've seen of him is so good. Super good. Like, I, I, I cannot stress this enough. This is, what, his fifth top flight Grand Prix? And... He could have easily have had, I think, two or three podiums by now. He could have easily and won he's doing one of this. these. Yeah, like, he had a shot to win at Jerez. There's no doubt about that. He would have had a shot here, I reckon, with the pace that he had. He had the fastest lap of the Grand Prix. He was running the same pace as the leaders in the second half of that Grand Prix. The only reason he wasn't up there was because he, 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 he was bumped off the road a little bit and had to run off the escape road earlier on, which put him down the field. Um... But he's very, very fast, very smooth, because he's not had a crash yet all season long either, Fabio. That's another thing you've got to consider. He's not binned it yet. He's been smooth and very fast all the way through. And the way he cut through Lorenzo, Rins, and Crutchlow to get into P8, very, very impressive. And on all that, only eight seconds off the win. Fabio is going to be really, really good for years to come. Mark my words. Trust me. Um, he's going to be super good going forward. Cal Crutchlow in ninth for the LCR team. Just not a particularly good weekend for Cal. A very poor weekend for Alex Rins in tenth. Um, I think qualify did, he did not make Q2. This is going to be a problem for Suzuki going forward. If they can't qualify, they're not going to win the championship. No. <laughs> like, no, like Rins, his race pace is very good. His qualifying pace and Suzuki's ultimate speed as, in, as a bike in general is going to cause them problems. 
Like, this is going to be a weakness they need to work on going forward because Rins was in no man's land in 10th ahead of Jorge Lorenzo, who continues to be a bit miserable um, in 11th place. There, 15 seconds off his very fast teammate in 11th. Alicia Spagaro in 12th for the Aprilia team. At least just plugging away, doing the Lord's work as always. Um, Johan Zarco in 13th. Only, what, 20, 29 seconds behind his teammate on the road? Not a good look, Johan, especially on home turf. Just saying. First points of the season for Fee Siren in 14th. About time he woke up, given he's been nowhere all year long. Um, a lot of rumours about him as well, given apparent attitude problems and not taking it seriously enough at Tech 3, apparently. He beat his teammate Miguel Oliveira for the last point in 15th place. In fifth, And uh, Johan Mir was the last of the finishers in 16th. He was a lap down after... Basically crashing in warm-up, like the like the literal formation lap, he uh, had to react to, to Carol Abraham going down in front of him, and uh, Johan Mir, in reaction to it, crashed himself, finished a lap down in the end. Um, like Carol Abraham himself was black flagged for um, re-entering track um, dangerously from the pit lane, having to get the backup bike he broke rules in doing so, so he was disqualified from the race itself. Um, five non-finishes, Tito Rabat, uh, Peko Banyaya and Maverick Vinales had a big accident there early on. Banyaya basically gave Maverick the Roman Reigns treatment. Um, wasn't wasn't pretty, um, to say the least. Another DNF for Maverick, not, good, not a good start to his season at all. Um, Andre Rianoni did not finish, as did Taka Nakagami, who crashed as well. Uh, championship standings here after five rounds. Mark Marquez has an eight-point lead. I mean, it's kind of scary. Mark's been dominant pretty much all season long. Only an eight-point lead. That Cota DNF is coming back to bite him already. D Dovi, who's not finished a race outside of the top four since this season started, second on 87 points. Then Alex Rin still in third on 75. Ed of Valentino Rossi, who's just plugging away at it in fourth on 72. Petrucci now a clear fifth on 57, ahead of Jack Miller on 42. Crutchlow on 7th with 34, as has Frankie Morbidelli. Uh, Paul de Spagaro in 9th on 31 points. Paul de Spagaro is in the top 10 of the championship. What a boy. And he's ahead of Maverick Vinales in 10th on 30 points on a factory Yamaha. Alarm bells should be ringing in that camp pretty soon. This holds up. Just, just throwing that out there. Hmm. Yeah. Bit of a bit of bit of a cause for concern. I mean, RJ, what do you make of the Yamaha situation mm. right now? Given that there's a lot of there's a lot of rumors floating around that Maverick side of the garage. Well, it's strange. Obviously, they're not going to buy Valentino Rossi out of his last contract. I mean, it's Valentino Rossi. You know, his contract is so proof they would need it would require a felony class crime on behalf of Rossi for them to get out of it, and he still might survive it. That's how big Rossi is in the sport. Maverick Vinales, <laughs> since the start of 2017, has not been the weapon, the future alien that we all thought he was going to be. Indeed. And I, was, I said it on Twitter earlier. Really. People said to me, well, like, like friend of the show, Kevin Walsh, who's always a big, big bike nut, said, well, why do I kind of like the idea of replacing him with Quattararo? And I said, well, if you're a factory, you want the next Mark Marquez, given the grip that he's had on the sport now for the last five, six years. You want that, you want that next guy. And... If, if you gamble early and you win, you hit the jackpot. And Fabio Quattararo might be that guy. Um, and I get it. 
like, because again, Maverick has not worked out the way they want him to. Valentino Rossi is still a marketer's wet dream as well as still being good enough to be in the top five on a regular basis. So, yeah, like, I get it. I get why why there's talk of a move. And, uh, yeah, Fabio is, is everything you could want in a factory rider. Fast, doesn't make mistakes, very smooth, and fearless of overtaking guys that have big reputations in front of him. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of ticks there's a lot of boxes that are being ticked in that camp and remember he's Quattro is doing this on last year's Yamaha. Frankie's got the new bike. Just throwing that out there too. Also, fun fact: that was Mark Marquez's 47th top flight victory, um, which is the same as Jorge Lorenzo. For clarity, Mark Marquez debuted in the top flight five years sooner than Lorenzo did. 47 top flight victories. And this was also Honda's 300th Premier Class victory as a factory. Marquez has 47 out of the 300. This man is utterly terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> this does no... Lest we forget, he is 26 years old. Mm, yeah. What a monster. Um, yeah, He's only three behind Mike Halewood for fourth on the all-time wins list on 76. We, like Marquez is getting into the stupidly rarefied air territory, like the really, really big names. Because only three guys, only four guys have him now, and that's Halewood, Nieto, Rossi, and Agostini. <sighs> if he does this on a second manufacturer, we're looking at the greatest rider ever. I don't care what we might be looking at him right now. Like it's like I don't believe in the multiple bike argument as much as some other people do. I know a lot of people swear by that argument. I don't. I think we've seen one of the greatest riders ever in front of our very eyes. 73 victories and he's 26 years old. Fuck me. <laughs> that is ridiculous. That is utterly, utterly ridiculous. I cannot put that into words, what he's doing on a motorcycle right now. And even watching him on the eye test, it looks like he's in a different plane of existence at the moment. It's, uh, it's a scary one, how good he is at the moment. It's, uh... Whew. It's a, it is a trip. Um, quick question um, from Vic in the chat before I move on. Said, if Rossi didn't leave Honda, who would Marquez be riding for? Probably Yamaha. Yeah, probably Yamaha. <laughs> Yamaha like their big flashy signings. They like their big factory guys, and I think they would have seen him. Maybe, maybe Ducati would have gambled on him a bit more, given his aggressive riding style. Um, but because I still think that I still think Ducati one day will will open a checkbook and say to Mark, "You fill in the digits. What would it take for you to ride for us?" And uh, he's doing this on a Honda where no one else is really in range. That's a lot of comments. Yeah, Marquez, <laughs> three, four, maybe. Um, Twenty. <laughs> what would it take? Like that's all. That's all I'm sitting there thinking. If they're paying Lorenzo twelve million a year to be mediocre right now, goodness only knows. Like, like what? Like, what would it take to 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 to, to pry Marquez out of that seat? Uh, who knows? Because Maybe he... Marquez could finally make his long-awaited return back to KTM. Keep dreaming, King. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Moto two, and <laughs> hey, that's another Marquez brother. After a twenty-five race dry spell dating back to Mategi twenty seventeen, Alex Marquez wins at Le Mans. Whew. Guys, Alex Marquez is back. Yay! Yeah. 
<laughs> we all kind of want him to do well because I think we kind of both want that pipe dream of, of uh, Alex Marquez in the top flight. Um, so, uh, yeah. We kind of want him to do... a sparker of bros in the top flight. Yeah. This is a good start to get Marquez up there with his brother. Apparently, there's a lot of rumors that he might be coming up next year, whatever happens, basically, and that uh, someone might be moving the seat aside for him, according to Simon Patterson. Keep an eye on that going forward. But Alex Marquez took the front early, didn't really look back. Um, the, the main fight on track was for second between Jorge Navarro and Augusto Fernandez. Stop me if you've heard that one before, because it's a carbon copy of Jerez, basically. <laughs> Those two went at it again, and Jorge Navarro won that fight again, for second again, um, ahead of Augusto Fernandez in third. There is hope in, in, in the KTM side of the garage. Brad Binder in fourth, easily. The best KTM has looked so far this season. King's prayers to, to the uh, KTM gods are starting to pay some fruit. Um, Thank God. Only six I've seconds been, off the W. I have too many slaughtered lambs in my backyard right now. <laughs> <laughs> Farmer King, everybody, doing the Lord's work. Um, Brad Binder in fourth ahead of Zavi Fierge. Thomas Luti started out on pole, slipped to sixth in the end. Anea Bastianini in seventh. Marcel Schrotter in eighth. Ike Laquona on the KTM in ninth. Nicola Budiger in the top 10 again. Good for him. Out of Tetsuya Nagashima in 11th. WDG Antonio 12th. Luca Marini 13th. Joe Roberts 14th. And Stefano Manzi in 15th. And, uh, in case you're wondering where Lorenzo Baldassari was in all of this, he was taken out on lap two in an accident between uh, him and uh, the new ambulance chaser, as you name him from our Bike Live days, Matteo Pacini, who was filling in again <laughs> this weekend, this time for Karyan Pawi, the rain god himself. Um, Pacini was filling in and there was a nasty wreck. Fun fact, Lorenzo Baldazzari has never scored points at Le Mans in his Grand Prix career. Moto 2 or Moto 3, he is cursed. Lorenzo Barzari does not score at Le Mans. That streak continues. Neither um, does the Nissan GTR LM, but, you know. Indeed. <laughs> this, it, 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 is a, it is a struggle. The struggle is real. Shout out to Locatelli as well, who was luckily okay after an enormous high side that he had to, he took on the opening lap. He was flung. He was literally upside down at one point. He was flung that firmly off his uh, Taltrin's Calex bike, but luckily he was okay in the end. Um, a lot of DNFs on this one. Look at Telly, Pasini, Baldazari, Chantra. Sam Lowe's had a miserable weekend. He crashed. Um, Simone Corsi, um, who was chasing now Marquez for second at the time, he binded at the final corner. Bo Benchon had, had a technical retirement, as did his teammate Stefan Odendahl. Remy Gardner didn't make the cut. He crashed with, with 12 to go. Xavi uh, Cardellis as well didn't make it, as did Pratama. And Dominique Agata, who somehow ran out of fuel with a lap to go. Hmm, don't know how that one happened, but uh, yeah, a crazy one. Monogiba Championship standings real quick. Baldassari still leads. He's either won a race or binned it. The literal definition of wreckers or checkers for Baldassari still leads the way by seven points ahead of Thomas Luti in second on, on 68 points and Jorge Navarro in third on 64, Marquez on 61, Strotter on 56. Bit of a gap back to Augusto Fernandez in sixth on 40. Three. Then a joint three-way tie for seventh between Gardner, Binder, and Marini, all on 38. And Bastianini um, uh, rounds off the top 10 on one, uh, sorry, on 35 points. Moto3, real quick. I mean, this wasn't quite the barnstorming classic we get out of Moto3, but there was one uh, significant moment that went viral. 
Who else saw Ayagora's bike fly across the straight between turns 10 and 11? Dear Lord, that was terrifying. Um, are, are, we talking like, uh, are we talking like um, bowling on, uh, on motorcycles? More or less. Um, he was oh! Yeah, he was uh, taken out on the opening lap in an incident with, with uh, some guy called Sergio Garcia. There's a golf joke in there somewhere after the USPGAs, I think. Um, wouldn't be the first time Garcia didn't make the cusp. Um, <laughs> thank you, I'm here all week. Um, <laughs> but uh, Agura's bike, he had a big high side, he flung off. Um... And uh, his his bike came back onto the track. Like it was still kind of like rolling without the rider on it, and it bounced across the track. And uh, somehow, about fifteen Moto Three bikes did not get caught up in it. Um, it's a miracle, given they were all going at about a hundred miles an hour towards the uh, turn eleven apex. A miracle that no one that no one got collected in that. That was a very scary one. Luckily, everybody got through okay. In a battle of the front, while uh, Keith Hewen got the baby oil out, it was John McPhee that took his second ever Grand Prix victory for the Patronus Racing Team, who beat uh, Lorenzo Dallaporta in a one-on-one dogfight to the line on the final lap. Aaron Canet rounding off the podium in third to take the championship lead in Moto3, ahead of Gabby Rodrigo in fourth, Andrea Mino in fifth, Kaito Toba in sixth, Sustina Vietti keeping up his good form in seventh, Masaki in eighth, Jumpman Cornfile in ninth, on the anniversary of his most legendary moments, um, in ninth, and Raul Fernandez rounding off the top ten, Albert Arenas in eleventh, Jai Masia in twelfth, Makai Yachenko in the points for the Skull Rider team in thirteenth, good to see, Sasaki in fourteenth, and Philippe Salak rounds off the points in 15th place. Only 17 bikes made the flag in Moto3, which is crazy, given how stacked the field would be. Binder, Rossi, Ramirez, Fanati, Antonelli, the championship leader at the time, Perez, Arbolino, Suzuki, Lopez, and Foggia all failed to finish. It got pretty heated in there in the second half of the race. A lot of uh, bump and runs, a lot of dive bomb attempts, and a lot of guys hitting the deck. Canet now has a 14-point championship lead ahead of Lorenzo Dada Porter in second, who was my pick for the championship. Antonelli in third. Kaito Tobo sticking around there in fourth place for Japan, which is great to see, by the way. It's great to see Japan getting their foothold back in bike racing again. It makes me happy. Jan Masia in fifth in fifth on 49 ahead of Valetti in 45. Mino with 40. Rodrigo in 37. John McPhee in 34 after his first win of the year. And Darren Binder rounding off the top 10 in 10th within a three-way tie with him, Tony Arbolino and Albert Arenas. None of these races were classics, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Moto3 is probably the best of the bunch on this one, but uh, still a fun time for all involved. Uh, shout out as well to Chris, who had to part early on this one. Thanks to him for, for coming in during the uh, IndyCar segment. I'm very grateful for that. He'll probably be back next week, which will be fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, love it. Um, all on that one. So, should we get into the news, fellas? Yes. Right. We've just tied up a quick loose end. Zanvort was confirmed. I know you're all shocked after last <laughs> week's show. 
Yes, Zandvoort is in. The first of two major victories for the Netherlands in international competition this weekend. And hey. it should be noted, the new news about the Zandvoort changes, obviously there's going to be changes to the track, including the last corner, uh, Lion Dyke, is, will now have 17 degree, yes, 17 degree banking. Ooh, Nice. So they hope to aim that you'll be able to take it flat out with DRS open. <laughs> I see. <laughs> that should be fun. That that that, that looks that, that that sounds fun. A 17 degree banked corner. Nice. Hope that these are some passing. Uh, so yeah, Zanvort is confirmed. We all knew that already. We all talked about it last week before the day before it actually came through. But that's a thing. Um, RJ, talk to me about Super Formula. Super Formula was at the uh, the Gran Turismo Sport Famous Autopolis International Racing Course um, this past weekend. This was a bit of an interesting one, because at the start of the race, we had two stallers, Tomoka Nojiri for Mugen and Harrison Nui for BMATS with Moto Park. Uh, two cars stalled at the, at the start of the race, and several cars pitted on lap the one, the first lap, to get off of the medium compound tires and go onto the softs. One of them was Itachi Wienet's driver, uh, team impulse driver Yuhi Sakaguchi, who started 16th after a time that would have given him pole position in a rainy qualifying session, was taken off the board. So he starts 16th, he's the first car to pit on the lead lap, he's the first car to pit on the first lap, I should say. On the second lap, we do get a safety car after Daniel Tickdom overcooks it and strikes the Arco barrier and spins out of the middle of the track. That brings us a safety car. The first lap pitters all jump to the front of field after everybody that comes in on the second lap. Immediately once the safety car comes in, uh, decides to pit. This puts Sakaguchi up into a podium position. Um, But we can't talk about this race, King, without... Mentioning the lament of Artem Markolov, who had to have his car Ugh. rebuilt um, with hours to go before the start of the race. Because, again, because rain came on Saturday, qualifying was postponed to the Sunday morning of the race. He got into an incident that almost rode off his car. So he starts the race several laps down. He's on the edge of the pit lane, pulling out. And then all of a sudden, his car snaps over to the left and parks again. The reason why was because the steering wheel was not fitted properly to his car. (sighs) Gloves! Gloves! Steering wheel! Come on! Move! (laughs) At least he's coming back to Monaco for Formula 2. Yay! The entertainment is back, everybody! (laughs) Yes, and um, as for the rest of this race... Sekiguchi took the, the lead from pole sitter Yuji Kunamoto uh, shortly after the safety car restart and then just laid the fucking hammer to the field. For reference, he was the only driver doing consistent 131s before his pit stop when the rest of the field was doing 132s and 133s. Yikes. Yeah, he won the race handily over Naoki Yamamoto with a second second place finish to start the season, giving him a comfortable championship lead. And Kazuya Oshima, Markolov's teammate, as Markolov couldn't get his steering wheel right, Oshima got on the podium for the first time in two wow. years. Nice. It's a good race. Again, it's on Let's Go Racing, uh, their YouTube channel. It's free to watch. It's a good time. 
Indeed. I, I want to make a quick uh, diversion real quick. Just, I just opened my Instagram out of sheer curiosity, and on it, I just found out the news that our friend in yours from Formula E, Nikki Shields, has given birth to a lovely baby boy. She came yes! Yay. Introducing Arthur Meyer St. Hill, which is lovely. She, came, she apparently rocked up three weeks early, but, uh, you know, mother and kid, everybody's okay. Great to hear. Congrats, Nikki, um, on, on becoming a mum. That's so cute. Um, so, yeah, congrats, Nikki, um, on that one. Um, whew. We've got to talk about NASCAR a little bit, and uh, ooh, this, this one's not so cheery, unfortunately. Um, a lot has come out recently regarding one of our favourite boys on this show, and that's Bubba Wallace, RJ. We had missed this, um, and we feel with, uh, with Mental Health Awareness Week that it would be a good time to bring this up. Mm. Um, in a recent race at Kansas Speedway, Bubba Wallace just broke down during a pre-race press conference, uh, opening up about his battles through depression, which is which he's going through on top of what's already being a trying second season in the NASCAR Cup Series. He'll quote, He'll quote, you try to be the best you can, and sometimes it ain't damn good enough. He later admitted to going through depression and everything with it, and that he's dealt with the turmoil in part by getting into his car. I'll be damned. It all goes away when you get behind the wheel. It's 16 years of driving. It helps, but it's tough. It was at that point between practice and qualifying session that Wallace said, I'm on the verge of breaking down, and I am what I am. And then he quietly buried his face in his hands. It's been a rough moment for a while. I'm just trying to do everything that I can. Oh dear. Um, as the piece says itself, Wallace has always kind of been the sort of guy to keep his heart on his sleeve. He's very honest. He's very upfront about these sorts of things. And yeah, that is uh, it's very sad to hear because Bubba is a, is a fan favorite. He's very much loved by many people in NASCAR's paddock. And yeah, I know he's had a rough season so far. I mean, we've been keeping an eye on it in NASCAR, and I know it's not been an ideal situation there at all. And ugh, you know, it it sucks that you know driving a race car at two hundred miles an hour apparently is the is the way of trying to deal with these problems. It sucks, and uh, yeah, not not easy to say the least um, on that one. I agree, and that's what I think made what happened. In the prelude to NASCAR's All-Star Race at Charlotte Motor Speedway special because Bubba Wallace managed to win one of the four stages of the All-Star Open, the qualifying race for everybody that wasn't already locked in. And by winning that stage, he guaranteed his entry into the race. And he was really, really emotional saying, you know, he'd been through a tough time, but, you know, that felt so, so good for him for the season him and his team have been having. And one of the first people that came up to embrace him after the victory was his good friend, Ryan Blaney of Penske Racing, mm. which was really special to see. And, you know, he went on to finish fourth in the main race. Awesome. A, a, a tremendous result for him. Um, and, you know, I love that the Discord was saying, you know, why, why is it with Bobby doing so well on the uh, on the exhibition races? But, uh, you know, great, great to hear that bubba has got a little bit of a, a positive reason to go through NASCAR's for You know, a good result was due. I'm glad he's got one. Um, hopefully that that can help going forward. And uh, he said it himself, they were just shouting my name, a frustrating weekend, but going through the stands, it was nice. It was nice to see all the support and love. Hang in there, Bubba. Absolutely. And Kyle Larson slayed the Millennial Falcon. 
<laughs> the millennial falcon. It took it took a millennial to slay the millennial falcon, but Kyle Larson taking the All Star race victory ahead of Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch. I should say I should correct myself. Bubble Wallace finished fifth, but that's still a top five finish in a race like that ahead of some of the top teams in a car that's not that good. That's mm. still awesome. It's a great result. It's a great result. Hang, hang in there, Bubba. Well, much love to you, sir. There was one other incident that came through. That's tough. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, get your gloves at the ready and hold the heavy bag. Welcome back to Fight Club. (laughs) Fight Club. So, after the race, we had a dust-up between two of our mid-pack finishers, Clint Boyer of Stuart Haas Racing and Ryan Newman of Roush Fenway Racing, which is still really weird to say when you look back at Ryan Newman's career. But the clip, it just goes right into it. Clint Boyer was coming after Ryan Newman. <laughs> Nothing was held back. You know what it is? It's a bit like one of those slap fights you get when you're in primary school. It's like, the moment you see your target vulnerable, he ran over and immediately basically slap boxed him, which I thought was hilarious. It's like, hands back, and, just, it's just limbs everywhere. Just hands back and forth inside the, inside the box. And uh, yeah. Uh, like he runs right up to the car and throws a flurry of pretty soft, but it's still, he got a lot of shots in. He did. He, he got a, he, he got, I'd say he got about eight strong ones in there before he had to get out of the car, and then there was uh, some arguments after that. But amazingly, uh, no actual further, further, further physical contact, which I thought was quite funny. But <clears> um, yeah, we had a we had a we had a small scale fight club, everybody. A, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was that was ridiculous. And again, this all stemmed from uh, from I guess they were racing a little too hard, and Ryan Newman just decided to give Clint Boyer a little hey there, what you doing, and then just turned him in the wall on the cool down lap. Yeah. And then once Boyer found an opportunity, he just sprinted for him. Oh lord! And he went after him while he was still strapped into his car. <laughs> Sheep. <sighs> Again, going for the body, people. We've said this time and again. Going for the body. Then you cash in upstairs. Them's the rules. <laughs> These fight club uh. amateurs. Uh, right. uh, w Series, everybody. Round two took place at uh, Zolder this past weekend. And uh, it was kind of a bit of a bummer on this one because we only got about 17, I'd say, laps of actual... 17 minutes, I should say, of, of actual running. Um, because there was a couple of nasty uh, safety cars that came out um, during the course of the race. One car yeah. smoking and another big incident towards the back of the track. Yeah, Sarah Bovey starting her home race on her birthday blows up on the grid. <sighs> Literally blew up. There was smoke all over the back of that thing uh, after the race actually took off. Um, they didn't abandon the start. It was it was a bit of confusion there. I mean, the the the, the, the double hand, like the Team America secret signal to to, to try and uh, to try and abort the start didn't happen. They had they took off. And it was only after about half an hour when the safety car came out that they realised, oh shit, that car ain't moving. Um, basically, but uh, in the race itself, we had I mean, we had a couple of, of of incidents there at the back after the second safety car. In fact, it, it cleared out in the end. We had Jamie Chadwick on pole for the second race in a row, but it was Betchka Visa that came out, took the lead from the whole shot, and didn't really look back, King. Yep, it was pretty much over. 
It was over at turn one. It was like a two. It was like an early two thousands MotoGP race. <laughs> Again, Visser, former Red Bull driver, raced in Formula V8s alongside some notable current Formula One drivers in her time in the series. She's mm. quite good, and she proved that. Ja- yeah, Jamie Chadwick. I'm sorry, latest Williams development driver <laughs> Jamie Chadwick. Right, beatable. <sighs> So, also, some, that scrap with Alice Powell—that was—that was probably the highlight of the race there. That, yeah, and a lot of people have also put down uh, Chadwick not being able to keep up or you know catch Visser down to the fact that she was in Emma Kimmelainen's car from the previous race weekend. Ooh, mm. she, she she probably lucked out on she didn't she did not luck out on that draw, did she? Nope. <laughs> that's a bummer. Um, hey, if that's the case, he's still finishing in a, a reasonably comfortable second. That ain't yeah. that, that that ain't that ain't that ain't bad at all. And uh, yeah, congratulations to Jamie Chadwick, who we all found that was became a Williams uh, development driver as part of their Young Driver Academy today on her twenty first birthday. So happy birthday, Chadders! Yeah. Um, and congratulations. That's awesome. And I I, I hope you're very patient. It is a Williams, after all. <laughs> I hope you're very patient. I'm just saying, not not due yeah. to her ability, but uh, the car. It, yeah, mm. it's it's just like an NBA draft, something that Ryan Eric King is not very familiar with. You just got to stockpile all the best talent that you can with lottery picks. <sighs> <laughs> because one orange and blue team suffering all week just wasn't enough <laughs> leave king alone he doesn't deserve this <laughs> the marta the marta train marta garcia finishing fourth sarah moore fifth the whirlwind fabian woolwind finishing seventh behind tasman pepper mickey koyama had one of the moves in the early race she finished eighth vicky peria with her first points and knife and rwanda zone naomi schiff with her yes. first points in 10th. Well, it was her birthday as well. We stand Naomi Schiff. She's awesome. Great, great result from her as well. Um, and to get, to get her first point in the series as well. So, yeah, Jamie Chadwick leads that championship by six points right now. 43 to Betskavisa's 37. Addis Powell in third on 33. Marta Garcia on 27. Sarah Moore on 20. They'll be back, I think, in three weeks' time at Misano. At, at Misano, which you can now see in the United States because I know there's a lot of stateside viewers that were interested, myself and King mostly. Uh, mm. It'll be on NBC for the rest of the year. Indeed, uh, we don't tape today, but it's a start. <laughs> Quite frankly, we'll take it. Um, yeah, they race again at the Masano World Circuit on the DTM undercard on June eighth. So that'll be for round three of the six race W series. More on that soon. And again, once again, congratulations to Jamie Chadwick. She's awesome. She's a badass, and I'm really glad she's gotten a pretty amazing opportunity. And the second woman in, you know, to get to become part of an F1 driver academy like that with Tatiana and Calderon alongside as well. So hopefully more good stories to come out of that soon please god williams get something for this girl she's really good (laughs) something anything please williams dear god but uh before we get out of town for this week we'll be previewing day of classics 4 ladies and gentlemen day of classics 4 live on youtube this weekend um the 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 annual motorsport yeeting extravaganza with all of us (laughs) In here, live as we watched the Monaco Grand Prix. 
uh, and the Indianapolis 500. I won't be here for, uh, the, for the Monaco segment, sadly. I'm giving King the keys again. Um, may the good lord help us all. I, I promise I won't try to travel by car in between races again. <laughs> and then leave me with the keys with no idea what to do. But before we get to the actual day of classics, let's get to the days before classics, shall we? Mm. <laughs> Tell us more, RJ. Yeah, because uh, Friday on uh, on Carburation Day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we have the highlight of last year's Indy 500 race activities, the Freedom 100. Now, Ooh, I can yes. tell you that fan favorite Zachary Clackery, no longer DeMacri, has lost his sponsor and is out of the race, which is a shame. Uh, but with the whole field covered by a whole second from Indy Lights regulars to one-off entries like Chris Windham of the USAC ranks and Jared Andretti, the under Andretti in the field mm. at the at the Brickyard, it could it could be a good one. I mean, if it's anything like last year. You just ain't free until there's a four-wide photo finish. As but you, you know, on the way to the Day of Classics, King, we, we gotta stop at the airport. Ooh, we gotta stop at the airport. The big one in Berlin. Tempelhof for the Berlin E-Prix. The Berlin E-Prix. <sighs> the two-day weekend, because practice is gonna be on Friday this time round, so... Yep, the the innovative two-day format. Whoa! <laughs> we've had the three, we've had the one-day format. Welcome to the two-day race format, folks. <laughs> four, four. Two days, one race. No doubleheader needed. Oh, yeah. So... So yeah, <laughs> Formula E, looking forward to that. We've already had the the repeat winner jinx broken by Jev, Jev, Jev. But uh, who knows, we could get a Formula I love Berlin, it's my favourite round on the calendar for Formula E. I can't wait for this one, it's going to be great. Looking forward to seeing these really fast Formula E cars go through it. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped. Well, I'm hyped! I need this on the Saturday, that'll be great. Dipping into my own self-indulgent bullshit and assuming that I'll come into the Indianapolis 500 with no sleep, Super GT has their third round at Suzuka Circuit for the 300-kilometer race. Um, that'll be on, I believe, in the Eastern Time. Yeah, about uh, 1 o'clock. So, uh, yeah, pull an all-nighter with us. It'll be great. Yeah. And um, I don't know why he did not try it. Uh, Jordan King could have done the double because, you know, the way Monaco scheduled... The F2 feature race is on the Friday, and the F2 sprint race is on the Saturday. <laughs> Let's be real, though. I don't think we're complaining about having Artem Markolov back in the form of the two. <laughs> no, even if it's not just at all. Not in the fucking slightest. <laughs> I am here for all of this. Uh, I guess we should talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. Is it, it's a thing. Is, yes. it, is it six out of 21 this weekend? Probably. If they were I know so, shenanigans may occur. If there's yes. no shenanigans, Merck should win comfortably. If they were so fast in sector three of the Spanish Grand Prix last weekend, a low speed, you know, all aero and chassis based section, they are going to curb stomp everybody this weekend. So um, no hope for the homeboy Charles Leclerc. No hope for Red Bull Honda. Probably not. I, I, Verstappen might bin it in FP3 again for all we know. Um, Verstappen, please just get a clean weekend under your belt in Monaco, for God's sake. <sighs> like, you might be our only hope here. <laughs> Jeez, like, Verstappen, on behalf of everybody, don't fuck this up, okay? <sighs> like That is the hope. 
He is the hope. This is where we're at. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if if this offer will still be around by the time this goes up. Skybet have boosted Hamilton to eleven to eight for the weekend. My mm. advice: pile on that. Pile <laughs> on that price. He's, it's free money. <laughs> like seriously, like he is eleven to ten, like normally, but they've bumped him up to eleven to eight. That is an absolute steal. Quite frankly, at that price, take Hamilton at Monaco at eleven to eight and thank me later. Um, seriously, that is huge. Um, so, yeah, um, get on that. Um, another fun offer I've seen as well as a request to bet. Neither has in the points. Three to one might be worth a punt. Just, uh, just, just throwing that out there. Um, so the uh, best fun at the Monaco Grand Prix is gonna be if you're betting on it. Probably. <laughs> Probably, I, 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 I mean, say. hey, they've got a casino there. Hey, you know, if the boot fits, I say. Also, one more bit of advice. Daniel Ricciardo, race winner without, without the big six. Four to one. That might be worth a play. Daniel Ricciardo. Wait, really? Are you sure about that? Ricciardo's sure really about- good at Monaco. Have you seen what he's sitting in? Then again, this is the Renault fanboy saying this, so uh, maybe K Mag at sevens might be might be a better play for race winner without the big six. Things that the, are one that are less cursed than an NA Mazda Miata with a Cyclops hat. We have the uh, the World Six Hundred at Charlotte. This is kind of the uh, the dead dog party at the convention of the Day of Classics mm. because that's immediately after the Indianapolis Five Hundred. Yeah, it is the after party of classics. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the this is the elevator queue. Yeah, that's the elevator queue in the middle floors of the forty-seven story elevator uh, on checkout day of Day of Classics. Indeed, all of that again. Keep an eye on our YouTube channel, Motorsport101.com. So, due to become full Motorsport101, Day of Classics four, the Monaco Grand Prix, and. And uh, what do you call it as well? The Indianapolis 500. What do you call it? <laughs> the what you call? The 103rd right <laughs> the Indianapolis 500 live on YouTube with us. I won't be there for Monaco, but I will be there for the 500. Given that uh, I finished work at half four in the afternoon, thank God I was able to get my shift changed around. Thanks, Rajiv. I owe you a beer for that one. Um, thank you very much for changing my shift around. I, I am very, very uh, appreciative of that one. But uh, after nearly 130 minutes, we're getting out of town here, folks. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, basically, you can find us one time more real quick. Um, yep. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Our handles, if you haven't heard them already, at Harrison 101 HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at Cedar Harde for Chris, who was on during the IndyCar segment. Thanks to him as well for joining us. We'll probably be back next week as well. Our website, uh, Motorsport101.com as well. If you haven't checked out my blog post on the confessions of a mediocre YouTuber, check it out already. Given it was Mental Health Awareness Week last week, I'd really be grateful if you did thank you to everyone who's read that and we're on patreon if you'd like to back us financially patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows ten dollars gets you into the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out big thanks to uh, black and mild um there's only in there so to jason to steve to uh, charles who joined us to cam as always to vic and to resi who woke up at 4 30 in the morning to join us mid-recording 
You narcissist! What is wrong with you? God, you like pain. Um, but God bless you for joining <laughs> us anyway. Much appreciated. We'll be back on Sunday for the Day of Classics. Day of Classics 4, the fourth one. And then after that, reviewing all of the action on episode 194. Until next week, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and I'm Eric King. Thanks to Chris Hardy for joining us as well. And we'll see you on Sunday on YouTube for Day of Classics 4. Until then... Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Oh, sh- I think I got the wrong gearbox. Oh, that extra, that extra second and a half of recording time is really important. I, I think we could have just, you know... Uh, tested the podcast without painting the episode title in uh, Papaya Orange, right? No, we gotta do the cover first. It may be the only visual segment of the podcast, but it's the most important part. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Gotta make sure the view sponsorship uh, pops out. <laughs>